Good morning. Did you see how easily I came up those stairs? This last week after the softball game, Lori looked over at me, we were in the truck, and she said, did you just do that? I had to lift my foot off the throttle to put it on the brake. <laughs> but I'm fully recovered now. <clears throat> Many of you know that I grew up in a Christian home. And on Sunday, we were in church. I do not remember a time that I was not in church on Sunday. Now, sometimes the pastor, not often, but sometimes the pastor would say, next week you have to be sure to be here because we have a guest speaker coming in. And they would go on to describe the, this guest speaker that was anticipated for the next week. So let me fill that role for a second. This next week we have a guest speaker. He's a missionary. He's been a missionary since age five. He has been on every single continent, including Antarctica, as a missionary. This particular man has memorized the entire Bible in three different versions. He speaks Hebrew, Greek, and a bunch of other languages. He has two, and this is for you, Bob. He has two original signed copies of the Schofield Reference Bible. <clears throat> It's been said that when NASA puts a colony on Mars, he's going to be the first missionary to Mars. And he only lives a couple blocks from our church. Now, so I hear that as a teenager, and I start thinking to myself, <clears throat> you know, I am very suspicious. There's no way he lives a couple blocks from our church. But the rest of it may be true. That all is done to explain that somebody important is coming next week, and somebody is important coming next week here. Phil Pearson. Phil Pearson is going to be up here in the pulpit sharing his testimony next week. I want to encourage you to be here and to bring somebody, if you can. We, if we pack this place, it would be glorious. Phil is somebody that I met on, on November 16, 1979. <clears throat> That day, I walked into Station One in Bellevue, and, uh, and he was already there. He had been hired by Bellevue Fire a couple weeks before me. I walked in, and he's got a book open, and roll call hadn't started yet, and I'm watching Phil, and I get to know him throughout the Recruit Academy, and then we work together on many shifts. This is a man of God, and he has a very unique event happen to him, and it's well worth listening to. And he will, bring, he will glorify God as he talks next week. So I've, uh, I kind of joked a little bit at this. If you had the choice to be either here today or next week, come next week. But <laughs> since you're already here, go. <clears throat> all right. Let me, uh, before I start, oh, by the way, I, I want to pray, and then I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. There's no, nothing up on the screen. It's just me, you, and your Bible. Lord, take care of us today and allow these words that are written in Scripture that are, that are interpreted by your Holy Spirit to each one of us here to change who we are so that we reflect the, the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I am very glad that you are here, especially since tomorrow is... Labor Day, and we're in the middle of the Labor Day weekend, and many people take this particular weekend and they go somewhere special. 
It's a day that we celebrate our rest from labors, if you will. But on Tuesday, guess what? It's back to work, back to school, back to the things that you ordinarily do. After resting from our labors on Labor Day, we tend to look forward to the next big event, the next special event. We want to live our life and enjoy it, and we only go around once, we all know that. And so this, this particular Labor Day, we're thinking of going back to work. Maybe it's in your mind. How many have to go back to work on Monday or on Tuesday? And school? Oh, yeah, some are teachers. Okay, very good. Now, in, in, uh, oh, in hands down, thank you. In 2006, I had something that I was really looking forward to, and that was a new car. I had to wait a year to get this car. I had to order it, and they didn't have any. And uh, finally, a year later, at least a year, may have been more, Lori and I went over to Dave Smith Motors in Idaho and picked up a Chrysler 300C SRT8. What's that? So the reason this particular car was important to me because as a teenager, I owned a 1957 Chrysler 300C convertible. They made a handful of these and I sold it. And I regret that day that I sold it, but when Chrysler started making the 300 again, I thought, okay, this is, I can get redeemed. I can get another Chrysler 300. And so we did that. I loved the car. As soon as we drove away from the dealership, within a half an hour, a rock comes out of nowhere and hits the windshield. And that was just, that was the start. There was event after event after event. The, the front bumper came off one time. It, it came off for a reason, but uh, nevertheless, <clears throat> the rims were scraped. There was a hit and run in New Jersey. I was not a Christian that afternoon. <laughs> Things kept happening, and Lori pointed out that it seemed like the Lord was saying to me, you can have your dream car, but I'm not going to let you put it on a pedestal. So it's been 16 years since we've had the car, and... Now it's transportation. I love driving it, but it is still just transportation. He made it pretty clear for me. Now maybe what you're looking forward to isn't a new car. Maybe it is a job. Maybe it's getting gra- uh, graduating from school. Sometimes getting these things don't bring as much satisfaction as you thought that it was going to. Today I want to talk about a different type of satisfaction. It's not dependent on the next big event. It is dependent upon our rest from labors, which is only available and found in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles, and I referenced before, chapter 3, Hebrews. I'm going to read it. And I'm going to read through chapter 4, so bear with me as I do this. You can follow along either on an electronic thing or in an actual hard copy. I'm going to start in verse 7 on chapter 3. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. 
though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who had sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, it still, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a day, a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will, will, no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is active, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. A few years ago, our youngest son, Will, and I, did some contract work with a chemist. He owned a business that did, that went to chemical firms, large firms, that used hazardous materials. And he would teach them, and Will and I and others would assist in the teaching of how to respond if there's a chemical leak. Were there to be a chemical leak, it would be a disaster. Some of the chemicals that these firms used, you could not transport over public roads. They were that dangerous. We trained these teams on the use of breathing apparatus, familiarity with the incident command system, on plant policy, 
and how to get in their level A suit. The level A suit is a, uh, if you've seen this, it's a bubble suit, so to speak. So you are totally encapsulated. So we would go through this with the teams that were on dealing with hazardous materials. At one site, an employee, and I'm going to name, I'm going to call him Fred. He was known by all the instructors and all his coworkers. There are hundreds of people that worked at this particular plant. Everybody loved Fred. He had worked there for decades. He was always jovial. When you walked into the room, this, oh, I mean, he just lit up the room. He was always upbeat. He was on the emergency response team, and he had big retirement plans, and he would share those plans with the, with the people that were gathered together. And he was so looking forward to retirement and not having to come in that he would have, he had an app on his phone that was a countdown app, and it said, this is how many weeks, days, hours, minutes was left, left until you can walk out the door and retire. And inevitably, someone would say, Fred, how, many, how much time's left? And he would pull that thing out proudly and say, this is how much time is left. When I last saw Fred, he had a couple of weeks before he could retire. Literally a few days before he was to retire, an email went out. Fred just died days before he was to retire. I never knew his spiritual condition. His situation reminded me of, st of a story that Jesus told. It was a parable. It was a man that worked very hard and he wanted to take life easy. And God said to him, today your soul is required of you. None of us know how much time we have to take advantage of the rest that we can have in Christ. In the passage in Hebrews, the word today is mentioned five different times. So what's so important about the aspect of today besides dividing your past from your future? Today is a gift God's given you. Today, you can still hear the good news. Today, you can still make a decision. As a firefighter, I saw many patients who thought that they would have tomorrow, many of them. I'm gonna recall one accident in brief. I, can, I remember this as if it happened yesterday. I was at home on Mercer Island and there was, I had a pager and there was a serious car accident on I-90 on Mercer Island. This is before they changed all the lanes and made it as it is now. It was a head-on accident. And I drove down our hill and I was the first person to be on the scene. There were cars all over the place and bodies laying around. And I walked up to one lady who was lying on the concrete. The aid crew showed up moments later and they just handed me an oxygen bottle and went on to deal with other people. She was struggling to breathe. The medic unit showed up and people that I worked directly with and supervised. They showed up and one of the guys by the name of Mike said, let's get the mass pads on her. And I said, Mike, she's, she's gonna die right here. That's it, we don't have time. So we packaged her up and we took her to the hospital to overlay. As we were going, I had the opportunity to get to know this person. She was a paramedic herself. She said she knew exactly what was going on with her body. 
she was struggling for every single breath. She had, medically, she had a hemopneumothorax. When she went into the ER, they drained the blood out of her lungs, and she died. The reason that memory is close for me is because I got to know her. I got to hear her story. I got to hear her complaint, I can't get enough breath. I can't breathe enough. I can't get enough breath. She expected to have a tomorrow. We all expect to have tomorrow. But tomorrow holds no guarantees, and we know there's no way to change yesterday. So you have today. That's what you have. If you don't already have a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, this is the day that you can. That is the good news, and it's referenced in this portion of Hebrews. In this chapter, uh, chapter 3 of Hebrews 7 through 11, we see God was grieved with the Israelites. They had the good news proclaimed to them, but they didn't believe it. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They lived a life of cruel, hard labor. God used Moses and miracles in order to bring that entire nation out of the land of Egypt, out of captivity. From these plagues to the Passover, God even parted the Red Sea for them. The greatest and last plague was the Passover. The Israelites were commanded to remove all leavened bread from their household and to slay an unblemished lamb and put the lamb's blood on the doorpost of each household that believed God what, through Moses, what, they, what he told them. If they did those two things, they would be spared from the plague, which was the death angel that passed over the land of Egypt. That death angel killed the firstborn of every person in every household and every animal in that household that did not have the blood on the doorpost. That lamb's blood differentiated between those who believed what God said and those who didn't, the Egyptians. Pharaoh lost his firstborn son to the death angel, and so he finally gave in and kicked the Israelites out of Egypt. And while God was leading them to the promised land, he gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. When they reached the shores of the Jordan River, Moses sent 12 spies to look into the land to find out what it was like. Ten of them returned and said, there's giants in the land. That spread fear to everybody in Israel. <clears throat> so the Israelites rebelled and they sinned and they doubted what God had said and they feared the giants that were in the, the promised land. That's when God was angry with them. He was angry enough, if you read the story, I believe it's in Numbers, he was angry enough to wipe them all out and start over again with Moses. Moses, being a humble man, said, convinced God. Now, God knew in advance how this was going to play out, but Moses said, don't do that. The nations will look at you and think that you couldn't fulfill your promise. So God said, okay, I'm not going to do it, and he's kept working with the Israelites. Most of you know what happened next. Because of their disbelief, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Except for Joshua and Caleb, who believed the promise, that entire generation died without entering the promised land. That was to be their physical rest from labor. 
God wanted us to have this picture because it portrays the spiritual rest that we can have from sin. We can only have that through what Jesus did for us. Is it not amazing that God would take his people, his nation, and put them in bondage and orchestrate that whole thing for 400 years to paint a picture for us to understand how critical it is to get out from under the slavery of sin. They came to Egypt when there was a famine in the land. Joseph had a hand in getting them into Egypt. It was all orchestrated by God. And the Israelites prospered in everything that they did. They multiplied, and there were so many of them that Pharaoh was afraid, and he said, okay, let's make them slaves. So God used Moses along with the plagues to deliver them, and they were told to put the lamb's blood on the doorpost. They obeyed, but they didn't fully understand why. That event sent in motion a spiritual reality for us today. Jesus was the sacrificial, pure, and unblemished lamb, and his shed blood on the cross delivers us from the slavery of sin. If God put his people under bondage for 400 years, just to make it abundantly clear that we're also under the bondage and penalty of sin, if he did that, if he provided a means of salvation through Jesus, here's my question. How, if we know that's truth, how can we choose to ignore that? In Hebrews 2, verse 3, it puts it this way. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? What are we escaping? God's wrath. God's holy wrath. In spite of the rebellion, we see that God dwelt with the na- dealt with the nation of Israel in both personal and miraculous ways. Maybe you haven't seen too many miracles in your life, but I think it can be said that life itself is a miracle. The intricate way your body is designed and the way everything functions as one. God deals with us in personal ways as well. Do you recognize those times when God is dealing with you? The Bible says that the hairs on your head are numbered. And God knows that number. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He made you to be exactly who you are. What you look like. Where you were born. Everything that has come together to put you here, to put me here. He knows your dreams and aspirations, the longings of your heart. God has been involved with you at times when it seemed like no one cared. He's been working through all the good and the bad in your life, the joys and the trials, just to bring you to today. When someone asks me how Lori and I met, I always have to say, I had to go to Anacortes. All the pieces had to fit, and God placed each one. As life unfolded, I didn't see those things happening. I just lived each day. I didn't see how it was all coming together. In retrospect, I can see that. At any one time, I was living the day as it came. I look back now to certain interests I had as a child. I watched Sea Hunt on TV. How many saw Sea Hunt before? All right. How many, and if you haven't seen Sea Hunt, you're thinking, okay, what was that? All right. It's a great show, but you, I, you can't see it now. But it was about scuba diving. The guy, uh, Mike Nelson, was the character's name. Lloyd Bridges was the actor. And it was scuba diving. 
And because I watched that show, I wanted to become a scuba diver, and I did. And then on the heels of that, I wanted to be on the Mercer Island Rescue Dive Team. But you had to be a volunteer firefighter to be on the rescue dive team. So I became a volunteer firefighter, and I oh, this is so cool. I love doing that. I love being a firefighter. And that's where God allowed me to go to Anacortes. Lori's dad was a VM minister in, at Summit Park Bible Church in Anacortes. So that's where I go to church. God placed each piece in my life. That was his timing. Eventually, Lori and I met. It was all necessary for me to get to where God wanted me to be. Perhaps you've seen some miracles in your life. Or maybe you can just look back over your life and see how God has put all the pieces together to bring you to where you are here today. Then there's these giants. Do you have any giants in your life? Besides your mom and dad? I love it. They're probably not literal giants. But circumstances that seem too big for you to handle. God either put them there or allowed them so that you would come to trust him to believe in his promises. The Israelites were fearful of the giants in the promised land. They said that they were like grasshoppers compared to them. Their rebellion, fear, and lack of faith kept them out of the promised land, which was their rest. I'm going to ask this question. Is there something you're fearful about? Do you ever doubt God's promises? In Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 17, we see that we're being warned about having a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. What's an unbelieving heart? The Israelites had an unbelieving heart. They were all delivered from slavery. They saw God's redemptive hand. They saw the miracles. But when it came down to believing God's promises to deliver them from the giants and give them rest, they did not trust what God said about entering the promised land. They choose to not believe. God had provided a physical rest for them. It's an example of the spiritual rest that is still available to us today. The Israelites were delivered from their physical bondage, their slavery in Egypt. Most of us here would say, I'm not in bondage. I'm a slave to no person. This is a free country. But we're all born into spiritual slavery, and that's our own human sinful nature the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you believe that? We should. That's why you and I need a deliverer. The Israelites were powerless to deliver physically from Egypt, from Pharaoh's army. God used Moses and the miracles to accomplish that. Here's how it applies to us. We are powerless to deliver ourselves from slavery to sin. You can't do it. You can't stop. Not going to happen. But God has provided a way. In Romans 10.8, Paul wrote, If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is our only hope from sin's bondage. The Bible says believing in Jesus is the only way, not a way, to enter God's rest. He is the only way. 
In fact, he said that, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't take a little bit of this religion and a little bit of that religion just to cover all your bases. If you do, you've been deceived. Hebrews 4.13 says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you make the choice to reject God's way of salvation through his son Jesus Christ, then you can never enter God's rest. His rest is one that lasts for eternity. Now we all fall short of being able to enter God's rest on our own merits, through our own good works. And we will not be able to stand before a holy and righteous and just God and explain why we should be in heaven based on how good we've been, how many good things we've done for others. I love the five words in Genesis. Lori's saying, you're off script, John, but that's okay. Five words in Genesis. As God created in, in six days, he created all that we see. And in five words, it's, it's like this. Here are the five words. He made the stars also. Okay, he just made the stars, and then his focus is on earth and us. He made the stars. And we think that we will stand before a God that just makes the stars and lift up our good works and say, now I get to go to heaven. Uh Uh-uh. They can't do that. We won't be able to stand before a holy and righteous God. We cannot explain ourselves that way. Entering God's rest is not difficult. Here's how. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Passover, your Savior and Lord. What is saving faith? It is based on the truth of God's word, and it takes very little The Bible says that saving faith is simply this. You start to agree with God. You agree that you've sinned, as has every person on this planet. You agree that God sent his son to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross. You accept that free gift of eternal life, bought and paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He becomes your Passover. You allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, not just your Savior, Savior and Lord. That means you turn control of your life over to him. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive total forgiveness, past, present, future. Not only that, but the Bible says you become a child of the living God. You enter God's rest. I will remind you in three, what Hebrews 3, 7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Are you hearing God's voice? I don't know. You know. Are you hearing God's voice? I don't, it doesn't matter if you're young or old. Are you hearing his voice? Considering your past, your today, and your future, and the Holy Spirit working through the word of God, He wants to bring you the rest that you desire, the rest from sin. 
God is using the miracles of life, all the pieces of your life, the fact that you are here to reveal himself to you. If you have not yet trusted Christ for your salvation and rest, both present and your eternal rest, you can do that today. Today is the very day that Hebrews talks about. If the Lord is speaking to you, don't miss this opportunity to open your heart to him. If you would like to do so, along with the other elders, Tim and Bill, after the communion, the three of us will be up front. If you would like to see what it is like and hear more about what it's like to enter God's rest, if you've not, meet us up front. We'll talk with you. For those of you who have, the good news, have heard the good news and are believers who have already entered that rest, do you sometimes still struggle with disbelief in God's promises? Do you doubt him and question why? When giants like trials and tribulations show up, remember that God is allowing those circumstances to make you more like Jesus. Despite your circumstances, he is working out your, his plan to bless you and further his purposes in your life. As a child of God, he is in control of your life and he's orchestrating and placing all the pieces together to accomplish your good for his glory. The rest that you've already been given is the freedom from guilt and shame of sin. I'm not saying you won't sin anymore. I'm saying when you do, you have an advocate. That's Jesus. He paid the penalty for sin. You don't have to try to work harder to gain God's pleasure, to work, to be on God's good side. Your justification is based on what Christ did for you, not because you've obeyed a law, but because of what he did. In Matthew 28, 20, it says, he is always with us. Nothing can separate us from his love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not even giants. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know each heart here. You know young and old. And those who have and have not trusted you as their Passover. And I do pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be resting in this place. That, that sin, we would be convicted of sin and that we would put our trust. Those who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ, overcome any hesitation that, because today is that day. Today is the day. We don't have tomorrow. We have today. And I pray, Lord, that your, that your hand would move in those hearts and all of our hearts, Lord, to trust you when those events occur. We give you glory for our lives, thanking you for all that you have done for us. And we acknowledge, Lord, your presence amongst us, thanking for your peace, for your mercy. Thank you for the shed blood of Christ that we celebrate in communion coming up. Love you, Lord Jesus. May you be King and Lord of my life and every life here. Amen.